And so I try to talk to people about managing their time, managing your money, managing your health, because without health, nothing else matters, building great relationships, and then having some kind of connection to the universe, whatever it is for you, and to do it on your terms. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I love today's guest, and I know that you will too. Today, we're talking with Rocky Lalvani. He is a wealth coach. He has his MBA. He's an enrolled agent with the IRS. He helps people who have financial success utilize their money to live a life of abundance, but not in the typical ways that you would expect from your run-of-the-mill financial planner. He is the millionaire next door. He started out with basically nothing when his parents came to the United States when he was two years old and his dad was 42. And it was his parents' second big move in their life. And they were starting over to create that American dream. So Rocky talks to people all over the world about helping them achieve success faster than they could have otherwise. And his viewpoint on financial success is so interesting. So I can't wait to share him with you. Rocky, welcome to the show. Oh, it's such an honor to be here, Dr. Richard. Thank you so much. And and I wanted to start with that story. We teased it a little bit. You came to the United States when you were just a little guy at the age of two. Your dad was where most people are generally settled in their career to, to start things over. So take us through that story and how that really framed what you're doing in your life today. So at that point, it was the late 60s. My dad wanted to come to the United States because it was at that point the land of opportunity and kind of creating your your dreams. He believed the the streets were paved with gold. And so he and my mom came here in 1968 and I was about two years old then. And they each had a, a sibling here already who had only been here a couple of years. But literally, you know, they're, they're in their 40s now and they're starting life over at the bottom. They were only allowed to take $25 out of India. So they, they essentially had to start over. My mom got a job. My dad went uh, back to college because his pharmacy background in, in India didn't translate into the US. He needed a, a different degree. And he never actually ended up in that field. But they just started working. And it's funny because when I was growing up, everyone would just talk about money. It was a natural conversation. And it wasn't until much later that I realized all these people have these financial hangups and people don't talk about money naturally. But as as time went on, my parents and, and all of the people kind of around us who had come over at the same time constantly just went up the economic ladder. And so it was success is possible. Not only is success possible, success is just expected. You know, the, the, as I was a kid, it was always, hey, the world is your doorstep. Everything is possible. What are you going to do and how are you going to go do it? 
and get educated and start moving. And since I saw people have that success of moving from the not so nice parts of town to building mansions, I, I just kind of grew up with the belief that it was possible. But I think there was one part of it that I, I kind of screwed up. And I think it was that success meant stuff. It meant the big house, the fancy cars, and all of those types of things. And I know when I was young, that was the dream. Get all the fancy stuff. And as I've gotten older, I think I've come to realize that the American dream of having all that stuff isn't really what's going to make me happy. And so now I've kind of shifted to a much more balanced approach. The money isn't about the stuff. It's about creating the freedom to live the life of your dreams and to live holistically. Because I think too many people are living out of balance. And so I try to talk to people about managing their time, managing your money, managing your health, because without health, nothing else matters, building great relationships, and then having some kind of connection to the universe, whatever it is for you, and to do it on your terms. I I love that piece in particular, doing it on your terms. But I want to take a step back, Rocky, and I want to talk about money. Because money, as you said, money was a conversation growing up. It was just always around you. And you had that influence from your parents that the world is your oyster, that opportunity is at your doorstep. A lot of people don't view money in the same holistic and positive way that you were taught to view money. A lot of people have a very harsh, negativistic view of money. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about money, good and bad, and what it means to people. So I think what happens is It's my understanding, and and you're probably much more the expert on this, but between the ages of 5 and 12, we actually create a lot of our money mindsets. And it's just, it's our lens of how the people around us behave and how we interpret that. So, you, you know, as you're growing up and you're asking your parents for money, they might be saying to you, well, money doesn't grow on trees. That's too expensive. You don't deserve that. And they're setting little things inside of your mindset. Some people break through those and say, no, I'll find a different way. They also hear things like rich people are bad. And you might, you might live in a particular neighborhood where there's a, a vast disparity of wealth. And the kids you go to school with, you know, the rich kids all behave one way. And you grew up with this mindset, well, if I become rich, I'm going to end up like those kids. And I don't want to be like that. That's bad. And so you do everything possible not to become rich because you've got a a misguided lens of how you're looking at the situation. It's interesting you say that. And one of the things that I've noticed within the helping profession and I see this mindset a lot in people like social workers and therapists and psychologists, is that there's this dichotomous kind of push-pull thing with wanting to help people, but then feeling bad about you know making a lot of money helping people. And that right there is a mindset. And it's true. Social workers and, and people in that space don't... I don't know why. It's a societal thing. They don't think it's right to accept money for that particular belief. And that's because I think deep down in their heart, they, they want to give and they want to help. And yet they have that, that, that split mindset of there's nothing wrong with being rewarded for the help that you give. If you help people achieve success, why shouldn't they thank you by 
giving you some of their money. I mean, we do this. And this is the funny thing. Every day we go out and we spend money, right? You go to the grocery store, you go to Amazon, whatever it is, you're constantly exchanging items for money and time for money. And most of the time, I think we don't think about it, but occasionally we have these hangups like they do. And you need to come to, to grips. You know, the more money that people give you, the more ability you have to help more people. And I think that's kind of where they need to shift the lens. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you know, one, of the, one of the most refreshing things I ever heard anybody say was, was David Osborne, who talked about you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars he's accumulated and his mission in life is to give it all away. And he articulated that very point on my show is that and if he didn't have that income, if he didn't have that money, you know, his impact would be far less. So that's right on point. Let's talk, let's, let's shift gears because you have this model and I, and I love this model. And again, you, you know, the accent piece on this was doing things on your term, on your own terms, but you have these different pieces that you view as coming into togetherness for overall financial success and, and success in general. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. And, and one of the things you mentioned was, was purpose, which you know, is something that a lot of my guests come on the show and talk about. So talk to us about purpose as it relates to financial independence. So I think we all need to know what it is that we want out of life. And I think too often, just like we, we create those money mindsets, we let other people define our purpose. You know, you're in high school, you do well in science. Oh, you should go to college and get a science degree. Well, if you're going to college for science, you should go into medicine. And, and people follow these tracks down and follow these paths, but they, they're not intentional. They're following what society or their parents or a school teacher told them to do. And I think that's why there are so many people in their middle ages who are struggling because they're sitting here going, this isn't what I thought. This isn't what I expected. You know, they climbed a mountain. And unfortunately, you know, if you're a lawyer or a doctor, you've, you've paid a heavy price to get where you are. And now you're stuck and you, you haven't thought it through of why that is. And so I know with my kids, I'm, I'm much more intentional about saying, what is it that you really want to do? And why do you want to do it? And have you actually tested it out? You know, I think too often people think, of a certain thing as being a certain way, and they've never actually talked to someone who did it. So they don't even know if it's true. And so I think that's a big part of it. Figure out what makes you happy. What do you find enjoyable? How can you make a difference in the world? And then go talk to people who are in that space and figure out, is doing that really what you thought it was going to be before you start putting all this time and effort into it? And, and I think that's important. You have to have something to shoot for. And I know that you coach and you've been a very successful coach for a long time, helping people figure this stuff out. Once they figured out that purpose, once they bring that intentionality to what they're doing, what do you advise as the next step? So, you know, I think people think they have to go into this thing and, and, you know, burn the boats and, and make big changes. And I tell people that that's not necessarily the case. What I try to do is help people just kind of overcome the fear and take that one tiny next step. And I think more often than not, you know, we get so busy in our lives that we're stuck looking at the tree 
we can't see the forest and we don't see the opportunities that are right in front of us. I think there's a lot of people who know they want to do something different, but they're, they're fearful of the change. Or even more than that is they don't know where to begin. They don't even know how to start. And the funny thing is, is like when I sit down with people and I coach them, I see all these these opportunities right around them that are so easy for them that within a single phone call, they could start doing something different. And it's usually not just one thing. It's like, hey, here's three or four things you can do that takes so little effort. And there's no, there's literally no bad outcome from them because it's not like they're risking quitting their job and running off to something new. And and I think that's the biggest thing is just taking those little steps and seeing the opportunity in front of you. And too often, I mean, we all are experts in something. And the funny thing is, is very often we don't know what we're an expert in because it's so natural to us that we don't even think twice about it. It just seems like, oh, everyone can do that. That's so easy. It's just how people are. But Many times that's not the truth. And so sometimes it's just exploring with people around you. What do you see me as an expert in? That's interesting. And and you're right. It, it brings a perspective that we're all naturally talented at something. You know, a lot of people who are coaches, for example, would say, you know, I've always kind of been that guy that people will come up to me and like share their problems with me and I naturally intuitively help them fix it. But maybe that doesn't dawn on, on them that that's their skill set or didn't dawn on them right away. I mean, it did eventually. So something else that I want to, I want to, and this is a little bit of a different topic, but it, it's all kind of related, is that you talk about, you know, focusing on profit first in life and business. So talk to us about what you mean by that. Well, so we'll, we'll talk about life first and then we can talk about business. We go to school from kindergarten through 12th grade Many of us then go on to college or we go on to a trade school or whatever it is that you do. Why have you just spent 17 years of your life doing something? And everyone will tell you it's right to get a job or to start a business to make money. And so if our goal is to make money, why aren't we setting aside money for us to build kind of that financial base to be able to do what we want and to have the freedom that we want? Too often people kind of get to that stage, you know, they get out of college, they get out of stuff and they, they get on that treadmill of, I need the nice car, I need the nice house, I need this, I need that. I know I was there. The one thing I did differently was before I even started on all those things, I started to pay myself first. So as soon as I got out of college, I set up automated savings plans that went to all of these different little buckets and they were just small little amounts. And over time, I kept increasing those amounts and they kept growing. What that did was create a financial base to allow me to have the freedom to make the choices that I want to. And the reality is, is no one is going to be more focused on your money than you are. Most of the financial planners out there, they're not focused on your money. They're focused on their profit and they're putting their profit before you. As a matter of fact, every transaction you have with every company, what are they doing? They're putting their profit, their revenue before yours. And if you're not putting yourself first, then that's a problem. As far as companies are concerned, especially... And this was another shocking thing that I learned. I assume that entrepreneurs were focused on the numbers. And I've come to learn that the majority of entrepreneurs are not at all focused on the numbers. They're focused on the love of what they do. So if somebody's a baker, they're focused on 
baking a great cake. You know, if they're an artist, they're focused on creating great art. Uh, if they're a lawyer, they're focused on on the case. Most of them, though, aren't focused on the money. And the reality is, is you're spending all your time, all your life to earn this money. You need to set aside a a portion of it for yourself. And here's the interesting thing. I think a lot of people talk about, oh, saving 10%, saving 15%. And that's all well and nice. And the reason 10 and 15% works is if you start saving 10 and 15%, when you're 22 years old, when you're 65, you'll have enough to retire. However, if you save 50%, that curve changes from 40 years to 10 years or so. And so the bigger the gap you can create between what you earn and what you keep, the faster you essentially achieve financial freedom. And so that means, you know, kind of stepping off and saying, instead of buying that fancy car, I'm just going to buy a car because freedom in 10 years is more important to me than kind of an obligation. And that's the other thing. When you buy the fancy car, and I'm not against these, we have nice vehicles. The problem with the obligation is now, you know, I've got the fancy car, so now I have to take it to the dealership to pay for the the higher level of service. And I don't want to park it in the parking lot because somebody might ding it. So I got to park a little bit away. It creates all these obligations. Same thing with the big house. You know, I got to take care of the lawn. It's an obligation. And over time, you get tired of those obligations. You just want the peace and the freedom to do what you want instead. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. So I, I love the analogy with the car and buying a simpler car up front so that you can have the freedom on the back end. Most people listening to this would probably say that they wouldn't think, at least the initial reaction, fifty saving 50%. Is possible. Could you share with us some other strategies that can help people save more than just that kind of 10% or 15% that they hear about? So I know they've done studies on this and the math actually works. It doesn't matter where you are today. Let's start today. If you just started saving one or 2%, you would just not miss it. You know, if you got a raise and you got a 2% raise, I can assure you when you look at your paycheck, you wouldn't even notice it was there. So if you just start with 1% or 2% or some small amount, and then you make yourself a deal to keep increasing it over time. So if you're going to get a raise next year, you say, hey, when I get my raise, I'm going to split it 50-50. I'm going to save 50% of my raise. I'm going to spend 50% of my raise, right? We're in the middle here. We can enjoy life, but we can build a savings plan. As you pay off the car that you have, instead of running out to buy a brand new car immediately... What if you just started saving that car payment right there, that five, six, $700 a month? If you do 2% a year for 10 years, you're at a 20% savings rate. So if you started at 25 by 35, 
you're at a 20% savings rate. At 45, you're at a 40% savings rate. And that's just doing 2%. And that's assuming very small raises. You jump jobs and you get a, a, a 10 or 12% raise. Now you can save 6 or 7 or 8% more that year. And a couple of those jumps, you know, it's not hard with small, small changes they compound and pretty soon you can have a very high savings rate. And the best part is you're never missing out because throughout this whole process, you're constantly increasing your spending. You're just increasing it at a slower pace than you would with normal lifestyle creep. Unfortunately, what most people do is they get a 5% raise and they start living a 6% lifestyle because they got that raise. But if you can do the 5% raise and live the 2.5% lifestyle creep, it doesn't take long for those numbers to compound out and put you way ahead of the curve. Now, that makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I want to ask you about is, so let's talk about next steps. So somebody has implemented this strategy. They've been saving. You know, the, the financial planner is telling you to stick it into a mutual fund or a money market that they're, they're peddling. What do you tell your clients to do with, with that money that they've saved? So once you start saving your money, you need to say, why am I saving this money? What is the purpose of this money? When you go to a financial planner, most of these people are paid under some sort of a a process of the more money they have of yours, the more they get paid. So all they're looking for is to put more of your money under their management. I ask questions of what are you going to use the money for? If you're going to use the money because you're going to retire early at 42, having it all locked up in an IRA or a 401k doesn't help. If you're going to use that money to build a business or to add on to your business, then you need to start creating a bucket for your business. Uh, If you need to start, whatever it is you want to do, figure out what it is that I want to do. Maybe it's investing in real estate. Create your real estate bucket and start putting money towards that bucket. And, And I think that's the bigger thing is be intentional. I'm not just saving this to have a big pile of money. I'm saving this to do something with the money. What do I want to do with the money? And once you know what you want to do with the money, then you ask yourself, what is the best vehicle? What's the best account? What's the best way for me to save or or hold this money until I can deploy it in the particular area that I want to deploy it? And I know that's kind of a loaded question too, because everybody has different levels of savings. They start saving a different points of time in their life. So what are some of the vehicles? Once you've saved your money, you've identified you know, what the purpose of that money is with intentionality. What are some of the vehicles that you recommend people look at if they're looking to get a, a good yield of return on their investment? So I think in today's world, getting a good yield is somewhat difficult. We're in a very low interest rate environment. Um, it's, it's difficult. I think you have to determine what your what are your skill sets? So what are you good at with money? You know, Are you good at investing in stocks? Are you good at picking stocks? If you're not, that's fine. You know, Then you just bet on the race, which means I'm going to invest in the stock market. I understand it's going to go up and down. I'm going to have a process and come up with a way that I'm going to invest in the stock market that I know that when it goes down, I won't make the mistake of selling out. Because when, when stock markets drop, they light up the center of our brain that's the same as someone 
putting a gun to your head or, or the tiger jumping out of the bush. And so we get fearful. And unfortunately, that's why most of us sell low and buy high. And we buy high because we're chasing returns. I'm going to have a fear of missing out that someone else is getting rich and I'm not. So thinking through your investment process in that particular market, if you're getting involved in real estate, you know, you either need cash or you need backers. So create the cash pile or the backers to be able to deploy your money. Warren Buffett sits on billions of dollars waiting for opportunity. And I think that's one of the most difficult things. Everyone wants to make get rich quick and put their money to work immediately instead of waiting for that tremendous opportunity that truly allows you to use that 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 a pile of money to to explode and, and to do great things with. You mentioned something that you know, in in today's world that getting that high interest return is not really happening, and that that's the way things are now. Talk to us about money in general in 2018 versus the way it was in the past, because society has changed a lot you know, over time, and certainly money would be impacted by that. It is. I mean, I, I think if you look at the average lifestyle in the 1950s and 60s, it's dramatically different than the lifestyle today. Today, we want more, bigger, better. I think there's a lot of things that we think we need that aren't really needs, they're wants. And we need to differentiate between what's truly a need and what's a want. And then, you know, in the past, I don't think people retired. You know, people continue to work throughout their entire life. And so the concept of building wealth, except for a very small few people, probably just didn't exist. Today, that has changed dramatically. I'm getting older. I'm 52. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm watching the people in their 70s. And every so often, I meet a guy in the 70s who, who I'm like, wow, that guy's really cranking it out. And I'm like, what's the secret to, to being in such great health at 70 and, and doing all these things? And they're all working. They're all enjoying life. They're all doing stuff. They're not sitting around in so-called retirement doing nothing. And I think that's one of the big shifts is we got sold on this idea of work 40 years and then retire. And in most people, unfortunately, you know, as they retire, if they're not doing anything and they're not active and they're not using their minds, then it doesn't take long from retirement till death. So I think you need to be intentional throughout your, your whole life of saying, what is it that I want? How do I finance this? And how does my money support the life I want to live? And what does that life really mean? And kind of going back and forth on that and, and not getting distracted by all... The, I mean, we're bombarded by more marketing than we've ever been. And unfortunately, we succumb to it. Instead of saying, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm just happy from within. Well, something you said a, a couple of moments ago is very interesting. And, and there's actually a lot of research that supports that You know about what happens to people's brains when they retire. Individuals who just kind of sit around on their pot of money uh, are far likelier to experience cognitive deficits and, and diseases like dementia than those who are actively engaged with their mind. So it's, it's interesting that you pointed that out for sure. The biggest thing for retirement, if that's your dream of retirement, is what are you going to retire to? And 
I think you need to be intentional with that. Most people who retire to the leisure circuit, especially if they're, they, they've been in demanding jobs or high powered careers, find out that they're bored out of their mind 12 months, 18 months later. And it's like, life isn't exciting anymore. And that's a shame. Then you get depressed. And so you need to be intentional. You may need to work for X amount of more years to be able to build your base. And you may have obligations that you need to unwind. And you have families to raise. We all have that. But then what are you going to do that you're passionate about, that you love, that you enjoy, that you'll do even if you don't get paid to do it just because you love doing it and it's pushing you forward and you're constantly learning and doing more. No, that makes perfect sense. I want to bring it back full circle because we touched on in the very beginning, but you described so beautifully these series of things which connect to each other, you know, from purpose to health, uh, all the way to spirituality, to whatever that means to an individual. So now we've had this discussion and, and we've talked about a lot of really wonderful things, but it's that last piece that I think is so interesting that, you know, talk to us about the, the spiritual side uh, of money and, and how that could be different for everybody. So for me, spirituality kind of ties in with religion. And I, I believe not everyone believes in God and that's fine. I think for me, the spirituality side is figure out what it is that you believe and why. I think for a lot of people, they believe what they believe because their parents said, this is what we believe. And so you must believe it too. And that may not be the case. You may, you know, I, there's a lot of people who walk away from their parents' religions. There's a lot of people who are part of a religion who don't even understand their religion and don't even understand what it means. And so I think for me, the spirituality piece is figure out what you believe in, what's true for you. Understand if you are truly, your connection with your religion is in line. You know, we can't pick and choose, you know, oh, I believe this, but I don't believe that. Or, you know, you're, you're in disharmony there. So figure out how that all kind of goes together. And I think a big part of spirituality is just giving back to the world, leaving it better than, than how you found it. And that to me is a bigger part. I don't tell people what to believe. I tell people to figure out what they believe and then to live in congruence with what their beliefs are. Don't be a hypocrite. I love it. Rocky, we are getting close to time. And as you know, I ask all of my guests a single question, which is, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? So, and, and this is what, this is kind of the way I've raised my kids. And, and I think it's applicable to this question. Leap with a parachute. And what I mean by that is, go try something new, but don't go do something that's going to cause disaster in the rest of your life. And whatever that is, just take small steps every day to take a leap forward. Maybe it's it's a, a meeting with someone to learn about a new area that you're interested in. Maybe it's going to a conference that is in a, in a topic that you'd like to learn more about. Maybe it's reading a book. Uh, maybe it's just you know learning a new skill. Constantly leap, try new things. But minimize the risk. Don't don't go out and you know buy a, a, a you know a big apartment building when you're just breaking into real estate, mortgaging your house and in your entire future. Do things in small steps and and prevent the risk so that 
You can constantly move forward, overcome your fears. And as you build up your muscles in doing things, then the fear goes away and you get confidence. And confidence in one area of your life just crosses over to every other area of life. Outstanding. Rocky, where can people find you? So you can find me at richersoul.com. I have a, a podcast there. It's, it's on all of the, the main players. If you want to email me, it's rocky at richersoul.com. I love to help people. And uh, same thing, Facebook slash uh, richersoul. Any of those areas, you can find me. You can learn more. You can hear. We've even got live coaching calls that we've done in the past. So people can see what it's like to take those small steps and move forward every day. Fantastic. Rocky, it was just great having you on. I really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor to be here. And I want to thank each and every one of you who tuned in to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.